Hello, my name is Brandon Reich, and you are listening to The Graphic Sound. Sound. Episode 4 with Colin Rigsby. I've known Colin for probably a little over a decade. I started a band when I was like 13, 14, 15 years old. And Colin may be the only one of my friends that I know that was probably doing it even longer than I was. I can even remember being a teenager and going to a show of a band that I loved. And I remember a band called No Tagbacks was opening for that band. So I think that's when I learned about Colin. That's when I knew him. I lived in Dayton. He lived in Columbus, Ohio. But we have a lot of mutual friends. And when I moved to Columbus, you know, I would start seeing him around at different parties and different get-togethers and stuff. So we kind of became friends, kind of picking up off of the fact that we had both been through the music industry in different ways. Colin is the drummer for the band House of Heroes. And if you're not familiar with House of Heroes, Google House of Heroes. Check them out. They're an amazing band. They've always been one of my favorite bands. The songwriting is a whole other level, and I feel like sometimes people may not notice how amazing of songwriting, how amazing of storytelling goes into the House of Heroes songs, but there's pop rock, and then there's pop rock with a whole other story. It's sort of like, you know, you think Beach Boys are some surfy band until you dig in and realize how much depth is there. I've always thought of House of Heroes similarly, where they're a great pop rock band in the style of different radio pop songs, uh, Jimmy Eat World type of music stuff like that but man there is so much depth and so much storytelling behind what they do and for me at least it hasn't gone unnoticed Um, I've always really admired that band and admired their approach to music and I encourage you to check out House of Heroes to listen to the music so Colin he is actually you know he's the drummer but he's doing a whole new project called Vespertine so this is his side project that has turned into something where he does almost everything and he puts the whole thing together he's working with some really creative people and putting great videos together all that stuff so he's singing on this he's playing drums on this he's writing the music it's basically all of colin's musical offerings packaged together under the title vespertine so if you don't know about colin if you don't know about vespertine i encourage you to google colin rigsby and look up vespertinemusic.com that's v-e-s-p-e-r-t-e-e-n music.com Colin's also a designer, so we have similarities in that way. We're guys from bands who also design merchandise, so you'll see that the Best Routine merchandise is extremely awesome, so I encourage you to grab some of that stuff, but you can see Colin's artwork on colinrigsbydesigns.com. So my conversation with Colin, it was a pretty introspective conversation you know we sat down and I kind of always just want these interviews to just be a conversation I don't really have a set group of questions that I want to ask I really don't even have a track that I want the conversation to stay on for whatever reason this conversation took a um, route that was about the stuff that we create but also why we create it and I think there's a lot of parallels between music and design so a lot of times you'll hear him talk about music and then I will apply it right to design right away because in doing both 
Because I've seen so many parallels. I've seen so many similarities between the two. They both just sort of have the same approach creatively. The creative process is very similar with music and design. So I kind of wanted to know what Colin's motivation was for doing Vespertine. You know, after being in band for so long and creating such full, rich music with that band, I kind of wanted to know what itch wasn't being scratched and what he wanted to do creatively and musically and, you know, how he wanted to fulfill himself in that way. And, you know, over time, you know, we're both in our early 30s, Colin and I, and I think there's something that happens in that decade of the 20s where your motivation for creativity changes so much. You know, you have this vision for what you want to be and things change and you either learn to change your vision or you learn to change your perspective on that vision or you just learn different approaches and you learn more about yourself and what you're capable of and what you really want to do and what actually fulfills you. So I feel like Colin and I kind of touched all those different points. I thought it was a really good conversation and I think you'll get a lot out of it. You know, if you're not a designer, um, you'll get some music stuff out of it. If you're a uh, musician, there's some design stuff in it. So know that, you know, just meet the parallels of the design and music mix here because I think they apply to both. If you're a designer, you can learn from a musician. If you're a musician, I think you can learn from a designer and an artist. So I want you to hear my interview with Colin Rigsby. it man you're the first one i'm here you're the first one and we are going to learn how to do these together you're going to learn how so it's funny because we got we did a promo video last week and we we faked a conversation but it was actually a decent conversation it got too real it got too real so we got into it and we just decided oh we have to stop talking now because we have to save this for the real podcast next week i've learned how to preserve my reserves yeah of uh there's a limited amount that i have each day yeah, so, okay, so this podcast is about creativity. It's about music a little bit, and I know that we're both doing that, but I think we're both fans of podcasts, and we're fans of um, what happens in a podcast and, like, the type of honesty and the type of... There's something about this microphone in front of your face that makes you feel like you can, uh, I don't know, get down to the heart. It can also matter. throw you off a little if you're not kind of used to it. Yeah, and Fortunately, I'm not, I think I'm not used to this. I'm, I'm a, I might be a little more used to it. All right, okay. But you do have to make... A, like a conscious effort to make yourself comfortable and be like, whatever. So you're on, you're doing Vespertine now. This is a new thing. And I'm looking at you as someone who needed like an extra creative outlet. Oh yeah. You said that was going to be your question. (laughs) I haven't thought of it. Well, that's all right. You don't don't need to think about it. So it's an extra creative outlet. You're doing stuff that you're 100% running the show. You're 100% doing everything you want to do with it. Yeah. That's all different. Yeah. It started, it stemmed or was birthed out of, uh, I've played in another band house of heroes for 12 plus years and we did a lot of touring and we put out a lot of records and then it just sort of evolved into a new phase of things where we weren't as busy and so we weren't playing shows as much and um, all the rest of the guys live in Nashville now and so I was always back and forth and still am back and forth. We're still active but just not as much and so being at home was a adjustment for me and so I had to deal with boredom. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, for me, it was a real inner 
like energy that I kind of couldn't contain. Like it yeah. was either going to come out in another music thing or some other way horribly, probably. Yeah. And so I, or some other way that I didn't know how to work with. Right. And so I just started picking up a guitar. Like I've played drums in the band and I've always been uh, one of the songwriters and I sing in there too. And, but I kind of play guitar. And so I was home and I just started finishing all these songs that I had not finished because in our band, it was all very collaborative. So I never really had to finish a whole song. Yeah. You just did I your could part. bring my pieces. You did your 33.3%. All... <laughs> yes. Yeah. No more, no less. And right. we'd all kind of put it together. But then I found myself being like, well, you got to, like finish this you got to have a bridge you got to have a you know ending and so that was a fun kind of challenge uh and i did that and then a buddy of mine in town just started throwing me on shows to open up just acoustic just me and a guitar which i really enjoyed it was a cool like i just love that uh and you just called that colin rixby pretty i much. did yeah. yeah and so because i didn't know at first i didn't want to make it a thing like this music i had done a band for over a decade and i was like i just kind of want to see how this is what it feels like to just do it for fun and have no pressure whatsoever. Yeah. Of course it turned into a thing, but yeah. initially I was just like, I'm just gonna go out and play these songs that I've barely finished and barely practiced. And just, I think in another life I could be like an exhibitionist of some kind. Yeah. And yeah. I just love that feeling. I don't know if I love it. Maybe it's a love hate thing. I love the exposure being kind of on stage. It's a need. Yeah, it's an, it's, it's a itch you have to scratch. It is that. And so I just jumped up on stages and started playing these songs and it was a lot of fun. It was a great learning thing for me. Um, I think I was pretty good at it. So then after that, I was like, well, I like doing this. I kind of want to do more. So I wanted to start recording it. So I kind of put together all these songs that I wanted to record. Um, and a lot of the songs I had written a while ago, like several years ago, like I said, I kind of had them in my back pocket. Yeah. Because I was always writing and I am always writing. And so some of them would kind of work for House of Heroes, my other band, and then some of them wouldn't. So all these ones that didn't work they were a lot more folky kind of singer songwriting. And I, and I like that. Yeah. And so like I've always loved uh, like Simon and Garfunkel and yeah. Springsteen and stuff like that. And so I kind of wanted to do that thing. So I got them all ready to record and I kind of started recording them and just with a buddy and they just weren't something about them. And this is that intangible thing about music that's either there or not there that some people um, just ooze out of them. And then some people have to try really hard to, to capture. Yeah. Um, and so it just wasn't there. I wasn't quite feeling the songs. Uh, schedules weren't working out to really record it. And so I kind of was bummed out and put it down. And then, but then like right at the same time, I kept, I started sitting down at a piano, which I can play not even as good as guitar. Mm -hmm. And but I just started writing all these songs that were very different from anything I'd written before. And I really liked it. And so it kind of all, they all kind of came out of me real quick in a bit of a purge maybe. And yeah, they all felt really different. They were much different content wise. And the other ones they were a lot more personal and honest. And I think that's probably what uh, helped the ease of their yeah. creation. Well, you had a need to get something out and you kind of wanted to try to get it out in your way. I think there's a, there's like a format to the way we know how to do bands, especially, you know, bands yeah. of groups of guys or gals. Um, but there's a format that we do bands with. And if we can, we kind of have to ask ourselves the question of, well, what do we do if there is no format? What do we do if it's just me? What do you know? What if I, what do I do if I completely throw away all the format and just create a song 
based on some little tiny idea that kind of evolves out of something. I think at least that's what was cool about when I heard Vespertine. It was just like, he's just doing whatever. Cause I feel like the, what was it? Five, six song EP. Mm -hmm. Um, So that six song EP, it's like, they're very different and it's sort of, and it's refreshing for me to see that because I've seen a lot of, I've been more interested in records where people aren't afraid to just make a record that have, songs have nothing to do with each other. There's definitely some type of vibe that is like continued through the whole Vespertine thing. But um, it's interesting when someone's able to just be like, well, yeah, I write that folk song, but I can also write this like synthy dance song too. And I don't want to be dictated by any other format other than let's see what comes out of me naturally. Mm-hmm. And let let me get out what is in me that I need to get out. Yeah. And I think that's important. That's what that was for sure. It was an exploration. Yeah. And yeah, they all are very dynamic different than each other because I had considered like oh, I could save one and kind of put it out later and then I was like it would not fit by itself like yeah. these only kind of go together right. because they're so different from each other if that makes sense um, but yeah it was very much figuring these songs out like I said I wrote them real fast but then I got uh, in the studio with my buddy and he uh, helped produce it and engineer it and um, is that our mutual buddy? That's our mutual friend. Jessica. Who wrote the, uh, well, he remixed the title song for this podcast. Yeah. And so, so we got together and it was going really great. Uh, it, it went really great the whole time and it felt good. But the whole process was very, a lot of like confidence issues with myself. Yeah. And a lot of it was kind of hard and, and like actual work, you know, like people, yeah often don't consider songwriting or a lot of creative jobs to be work or hard. Well, or, it's a work they don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's a work <laughs> it's I an emotional, don't understand sometimes. Yeah, you yeah. gotta, because you are like, oh, this is cool. Like when you're being creative, you're like, oh, this is kind of just coming out of me effortlessly. But then there comes a part where you're like, yeah. I have to like deliberate and revisit and put it down and totally restart. And like, there's all these, like I said, there's insecurities and stuff like that. You, you rely on the creativity to come out. You rely on the creativity to happen or the spark to happen, but there's work involved after that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's like, number one, we're just straight blessed to be creative period but if we don't add some type of like work and regimen to that creativity then it's all for naught and i think that's what happens a lot in in music and design and all that stuff you have i mean talent is like 10 percent. you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and for me like you know it not to be self-deprecating but for me it's like i know so many artists that are so much more talented than i am but i know how to work really hard i know how to stay focused i know how to hyper focus on all this work and make there's so many make the workflows easy and efficient and all that stuff so it's like let me take my little bit of creativity and talent and just work my butt off to make it happen yeah exactly yeah there's so many other factors i see that in musicians a lot too or yeah they have amazing, amazing talent. And sometimes that's the double-edged sword or the trade-off where they're so far on the creative side of the brain yep. that they have zero social skills yep. or business <laughs> yeah. intuition or any other kind of motivation other than create, and which is great because it makes amazing art, but then it won't go anywhere uh, if it isn't kind of harnessed and pushed in the right direction. I feel like the more creative I am, the more terrible I am at social stuff. And, or the more, the more I have to fake the social stuff, you know what I mean? The more I have to just sort of like go through the motions of it because I'm so, you know, I realize my, my job, my life is, it, it appears to be relatively simple, but what's going on in my head is like, I'm trying to create the next thing because, yeah. you know, I think, I think you definitely fall in this category of, 
for whatever reason, we've decided to, we've decided that we want to try our best at being great. And any talent that we have, we're going to push it as hard as we possibly can and get it and try to pull it completely out of us. We know that we got lucky enough to have some type of musical or design talent. You have both. You, you, you know, like I've taken more of the design route. You've taken more of the music route, but we both have the art and design talent, which is like jackpot. So it's like, we have this ability to maybe do something close to great. And that responsibility is maddening. And that responsibility is maddening because it's like some mornings, like I have to talk myself off the ledge. That's what makes it work. Like right. responsibility is work. And yeah. a lot of people don't like it. And I'm not, when I say a lot of people, I don't want to be like, I'm the kind that really makes it happen. Right. Yeah. Like I'm just friggin' figuring it out. Yeah. Like day at a time. You've become aware of this thing, whether you're <laughs> abiding by it or not, at yeah. least you're aware. And that's what I've realized. Certainly aware. Yeah. I feel like I have kind of popped out of myself a little bit to yeah. get a different perspective. And that's a very recent development. And honestly, I think that a big part of it has been getting older, like just like, especially I think there's something that happens after 30 and a lot of people um, having kids or getting married or uh, just kind of realizing, I don't know. It doesn't happen for everybody. Well, at 30, I feel like you realize if you're going to do something, you got to do it now. And another part, (laughs) since we talked last week, we started talking, then we cut ourselves off. But right before we cut ourselves off, I said something like, we were talking about being creative in in this. We were talking about getting a little older and a little wiser or whatever and trying trying to make things happen. And I said something like, the secret is I just don't care anymore. Yes. <laughs> and so, but for the whole week, I was like, well, that's not what I meant. I'm glad I didn't say that yeah. on air because to clarify the way that I don't to care. To clarify for the interview that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but to I clarify, know. It's literally just between us. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean by not caring is that I don't care about, and I kind of said this, I kind of said, I don't care about the like unimportant things. I don't care about the reaction and what people think. Yes. I, mean, I think a lot of people, as you get older, um, you kind of, you can stop caring. And you see it in really old people where they just, I know they have zero talking to care. waitresses yeah. or like, yeah. you know, if somebody's too loud or something yeah. like that, I always look at those people like, what age does that happen yeah. for me? Cause I cannot wait. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm only a couple years away. Maybe it's like 35 or something. And I'm well, like, I think yeah. this is the golden age of that where yeah. you're just realizing where you're like, I don't have to care what these people think or yeah. whatever. And so that's a great thing to kind of realize. But also I didn't want it to come across as like, man, you know, I turned 30 now. I just don't care. Yeah. Like, no, I cause that is a thing that happens where people kind of get into, um, their thirties and they kind of stop caring about a lot of, a lot of things. They kind of stop caring about themselves and their own interests, their own passions. They give uh, up a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't always, it, and I don't want to paint with a broad stroke, but it, it happens a lot and I yeah. see it a lot in people that like, man, you used to really like have some ambition and I don't know what it is. And I'm not at all talking down to that. Like I know it happens and like life happens and stuff, but I think I'm just very interested in, and how and why. That no, kind of man, you don't have to retract any of because that Because why stuff. am I like 10 times more ambitious than I was when I was 25? Well, because you're aware. And I think 
Well, see, if there's any over, you know, if there's any like tone to this entire idea for this podcast, it is to like encourage people to get up and be creative again. And also for them to understand that it's not easy to be creative. Like it's not easy to like keep this thing going. And it is a, it's not an effortless thing where we just wake up and we create amazing stuff. Like we have to, like I said, I have to wake up. I have to get out of bed, which is very difficult, you know, and I have to talk myself off a ledge because I have so much insecurity so much self-doubt but i also have this confidence that's like hiding back behind all that self-doubt and if i can just get that out of the way and i can get to the confidence then i can sort of talk myself up each day and get there you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and get to where i want to be like there's this band death heaven and i think we talked about this last week but there's this band death heaven and like probably my favorite band um my favorite band's always gonna be like third eye blind and deftones and stuff but like you know, I'm a big Nine Inch Nails fan, but I probably listen to Death Cab for Cutie most of the time. And I always will love Death Cab for Cutie, but there's this band, Death Heaven. And Death Heaven is this black metal band that plays so freaking fast and it's so intense. And I don't listen to that stuff anymore. Like my band sort of did a version of that way in the 90s and stuff. But, um, But what I realized about myself is for the past five, six, seven years, I've been acting like I'm death cab for cutie. I'm not. I'm freaking death heaven. (laughs) And I wake up death cab for cutie. I wake up kind of navel gazing, like just sort of like, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't want to just paint a big brush of like self doubt or insecurity. It's not that I am a semi confident dude, but I have to get to the point where I listen to this deaf heaven song called dream house and it like i feel like it defines me it's like it's intense it's like going for it there's something beautiful behind it and it's like i have to talk myself up because we have to put the work into doing this like uh being i you hold a higher standard for yourself. That's pretty much what the bottom line is. And that's what I'm realizing in my thirties. I'm holding a higher standard for myself because mm-hmm. if you compare yourself to the majority of what Americans are doing, then we're, you know, way ahead of the game or you're way like, you know, like you're, you know, you're living the dream or whatever, but you're living the dream relative to what they're doing now, relative to what you did yesterday, you got to push harder to live your dream because maybe yesterday was good, but you want better and you always want better as somebody who thinks they're capable of better. And so I think I'm capable of so much more than what I do. So every day it's me pushing myself to do that. So it sounds like for you with Vespertine, it was just sort of like, I have, I have another gear in me. I have something else in me that I can get out, whether it's the folk stuff or whether it's the vespertine stuff or whatever it is or whether it's the next house of heroes record whatever it's going to be it's you feel a drive to get something else out like Mm -hmm. i could do that record that record that record that record but guys i can do another thing and i got to get it out and it's inside of me i gotta do whatever i can to push myself to get this other thing out and it's work it's not easy to do it's like you know, it's being delusional for me. Like I realized that, you know, at the beginning of Goonies when he said, um, I'm just trying to dictate myself. I'm just trying to delude myself. He was basically telling, he was telling his brother, if you guys don't know the premise of Goonies, then, uh, this just don't even listen to this podcast, but, uh, <laughs> basically their, their house, they're getting evicted from their house. Cause it's going to get torn down and be a go- golf course or something country club sort of thing. So Mikey, the main character, Sean Aston, he's basically saying, uh, yeah, I want to move anyway. Like, you know, who needs this place? I can't wait to get out of here. And Brand said, you really mean that wimp? And then he said, no, I'm just trying to, 
dictate dic- or whatever he says. <laughs> he said, that's delude yourself. Dummy. Yeah. yeah. So I tell myself all the time, like I'm just trying to delude myself, but I'm trying to delude myself positively. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you have to get yourself out of the frame of mind that, yeah, you definitely can fail. You definitely are insecure about this. Like, you know, there's so many, you know, like, man, when I look back at my band, I wasn't even that good of a singer. I just freaking tried hard. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what it, that's what it comes down to, be, to. Yeah. And it's hard to feel like, do I have to manufacture this delusion now that I'm really aware of it? Yeah. Cause I wasn't aware of it. You weren't aware of it when you were just trying to be, right. <laughs> you were just faking it till you make right, it Right. Totally. as a youngster. And then now you're like, Oh, well I see how it is, but there's still an element of otherness that I can't put my finger on where I'm like, yeah, what the hell am I doing? trying to start a music project yeah. and travel. Like I did it for over 10 years and it, was very mildly successful. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be considered a, a lot of people like I'm super, super proud of everything we've done and we did a lot. And so I'm in no way downplaying the things that we've done and accomplishments. Like I would consider it a success. I but, can definitely second that. Uh, I consider house of heroes way better than Jimmy Eat world. <laughs> and uh, so if there's any Jimmy Eat world fans out there, just go and look through the whole House of Heroes catalog. There's a lot of records. Well, if that's and, all we have to our name, I'll take it. Yeah, that's. But I don't know. It's just it's an easy way to say, it. and that's always the comparison because it's like it, if if you feel like it was mildly successful, it's definitely not for lack of talent or not for lack of amazingly well written songs because they were all amazingly well written. They continue to be amazingly well written. And that's the roll of the dice. And that was the thing that we just you know we're always up against you're always up against the odds and so now knowing all those odds that i'm up against how delusional must i be to be like i'm gonna do all that again i'm gonna keep going now i've got kids and i'm like yeah <laughs> house and i'm like yeah let's go hop in a van man yeah how and i go back and forth and i'm like no i'm not i'm not delusional like i i'm very aware but part of me feels like you're crazy for doing this and then another part of me feels like you can't help but do this yes this is the only way that you can do this. The best version of yourself is one that's creatively fulfilled. And I'm not making stupid decisions. And that's something I'm proud that House of Heroes never did where we just drove ourselves into the ground and just took every single opportunity and did everything and just went so hard that we just burned out. Like yeah. we just kind of toured smart and we spent smart. We and did yeah. <laughs> we just <laughs> we've toured seen a lot all of like 11 and a half months out of the yeah. year that we just, because I thought we, that's what we were supposed to do. And then we all ended up hating each yeah. other and it all felt apart so it wasn't a good idea Which, and i love touring i would love to tour a ton and obviously that's why i'm doing this again but anyway delusion manufactured delusion mm-hmm. let's move on yeah it's <laughs> it's just a basic but i think that's what gets down to the heart of creativity and that's kind of what i'm getting at because you're a graphic designer as well and there's this stuff that we want to create and there's this new these new things that we want to do for me i've had this career in the music merchandise industry where i know how to do that now and i could just keep that machine running and i could keep it like humming along and that will be fine but i have become so unfulfilled creatively Mm. and i found that a lot of that is because i keep myself isolated and i've realized the importance of i don't know importance of community importance of all that stuff and i guess in a way this podcast is me manufacturing community <laughs> you know what i mean or like making del- talking diluting myself into thinking that i have this group of people that 
support me and I can talk to and all that stuff. And <laughs> once all these get launched, then people might start talking back, you know what I mean? And um, so right now I'm in this funny area because it kind of just lives in the ether and it won't get launched for a while. So now I don't, no one is listening at all. You're yeah. the only one that knows about this conversation right now. Yeah. That's and, how I felt when recording, you, you know, you're just like, here it all is. Yep. It's just there. Right and if now. you keep thinking, if you're constantly obsessed of how it's going to be received, because for this, the reception of it is extremely important to the continuation of it. So Mm -hmm. if this doesn't hit, if people don't care, then I'm not going to do it anymore. It doesn't make sense to do it anymore. Um, But if people do, I I have a belief that people will respond to this because I know that right now what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do with this podcast is just get my honest opinion out and get my honest emotions out and be open about all this stuff because for whatever reason, I've been able to be a creative guy, but I've also been able to say what's on my mind. And I think that's a valuable um, skill. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of creatives lack that sort of thing because the only way they can express themselves is through their art. So I'm this guy who's like, you know, kind of type a, but I'm also, I'm also able to do that, but I feel like I'm only able to do that because I know how to do the work and keep my head down and work. But if you keep your head down, you know, I know how to isolate myself and be productive. Yeah. But if you isolate yourself, um, there's a bigger picture thing that's happening where you are secluded. And if you're secluded, you have no safety net. So, you know, the, your community acts as a support system. And if Mm. you seclude and isolate yourself, then that safety net goes away. So you don't take as many risks as you used to. Now, if you have this big community around you, family support, friend support, all this stuff, not, it's not even directly about the thing that you're doing, but if you have this bigger thing, you're subconsciously able to take more risk and you're able to try a little harder because you know that if you fail, there's still people are still going to love you and there's still going to be people there, you know? So it's, it's not a conditional, you have this unconditional support, um, from a greater group of people. So the best connections I've made have probably been from talks that I've done at colleges and conferences and stuff and people who will talk to me after that. And it's just, I mean, you know what it's like after, after a show when a fan comes up and talks to you about how much your music helped them with something. And there's something amazing about when a fan comes up after a show and says that one song about whatever, you know, it meant this. And you're like, that's not what that song means at all. (laughs) But you got that. But you got that out of it. And I'm so glad that you got that out of it. So it's almost like if you have the gumption to stand up in a bunch in front of a bunch of people and play music, if you have the gumption to speak in front of a conference or to do a podcast or whatever, if you have that in you, then I think you have a responsibility just to do it. And if it can help other people, then that kind of seems beyond you. Yeah. Well, that is part of the fuel that keeps you going. I think is the response and the interaction, yeah. and the engagement with people. Like if, if I just put out a record or I feel like your only way of getting a lot of feedback is through those public yes. conferences and interactions Yeah. other than like online, you know, if you're like really uh, diligent about posting. Yeah. And I'm not a very avid social media user. Yeah. I try, but I'm not that great. And at it. Yeah. So, and I mean, thank goodness for social media really to, for the insecure <laughs> artist who doesn't totally. know how to engage. Like yep. now you can be like, you can put it out there and you can gauge reaction and then yep. you can make your next decision based on that. Like you said, if this, you know, if nobody cares, you won't do it, but you know, you gotta, you won't find out until you yeah. do yeah, I think that there's it's an embarrassing thing to admit those insecurities sort of, but maybe maybe that's something that happens after 30 where you're just like, listen, I don't care anymore. It's the best thing. It's, the be- <laughs> it's so cathartic and it's uh, therapeutic. Like, I, I think I'm creating my best art 
visually and musically now. Yeah. Um, just because of like uh, my like personal life and my personal determination to be more open and honest and transparent and just talkative, like yeah. just uh, with with anybody like yeah. and not being picky you know like talking to people i wouldn't normally talk to and yeah. then really getting something out of it yeah you know so just uh that's the the whole not caring yeah i know i know i'm i think at, i've got to the point where i'm aware of how much i care and i really don't want to care <laughs> and it would do me a lot better to stop caring yeah, and to hard. stop psychoanalyzing every little thing because i psychoanalyze every little thing and i'm um you know, I've been through things where, you know, I've been through band breakups where a band breakup is just tough because there's a lot of drama attached to it. But then you have to go out and, you know, like for my band, I had to go out and keep touring, you know, and like I wasn't able to like be part of the drama back home. <laughs> I just had to keep going and keep pushing no matter like mm. um, um, not being part of the drama back home and not being able to like know what's going on. So that it's it's emotionally just, you know, it terrifies me. So I have to figure out if I'm going to be the type of person that doesn't care. Um, but it's hard for me to be the type of person to, to connect not caring and also connect compassion because mm-hmm. I feel like they're opposites in a way. So it's like you want to, well, I guess semantically they are opposites. I know what but, you mean. But yeah, it's like I want to be able to not care, but also not be mad at anybody about not caring. Yeah. But it's hard to be driven by that. Well, I don't know. You know, I watched this Kobe Bryant interview one time. And, you know, if you take LeBron and Kobe, LeBron is a relatively good dude that he, he enjoys the team atmosphere and he wants to make his team great. Kobe is driven by anger (laughs) and he's great because of anger. And if you're a teammate of Kobe, you're getting chewed out by Kobe. Jordan was the same way. And it's funny because I look at that anger. I watched that documentary and I think it was called Kobe Bryant's muse. I watched that documentary and I'm like, can I be driven by anger? Is that a good motivator? If you're Anakin Skywalker, maybe totally. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know. It was hard to accept that as a, valid means of like motivation. No, I've had to deal with that, uh, especially in music and kind of being like, what is my, my muse, my inspiration. And, uh, I feel like for years I've tried to manufacture it instead of being really honest. And like I said, once I started being honest, these songs all kind of just came out Yeah, and that's like the best feeling in the world. And seeing the success of that has made me even more, you know, it's strengthened my resolve to be like, I'm just going to keep pushing into that, keep being more open, keep interacting with people and being very honest with people and not, not living in my head. That's a big thing. I think is like when you don't talk about things, you're just thinking not, not even heavy, deep things, but just what's on your mind. Yep. Uh, you keep it in and it, it's like you need like a like a verbal enema in yeah. a way you need to just <laughs> yeah, like totally. if it's all in there it's just going to disease and like turn into something that it's not you yep. know and you can kind of start to create your own reality and lie to yourself and I've done plenty of that and I've yep. really seen it and I've come out of it and it's the best thing and so I just kind of keep pushing into it it's yeah. hard but you, you do have to decide every day and I you know continually back and forth of like how am I am I being honest here and not even just when I sit down and write a song just like every day yeah and that's especially uh when you're married you know you're you have to coexist with this other person and you have to uh get it all out you have to sacrifice part of yourself and but you have to push a little too you gotta you gotta keep your own identity yeah but you have to 
mesh with this person. Well, it's, it's hard to accept the fact that there's some someone you would be without the other side, but then there's also you have to accept the fact that the person you are includes that other side. So maybe we like to think that we're something else, mm-hmm. but we're not. We are the other half of that thing. Yeah. And that's part of living in your head is you can just start to tell yourself like, and honestly, I think that's why a lot of people split up is they, they don't talk about those things with each other or anybody else. And they, cause you're going to think those things like no matter what, trying to live with somebody else, you're going to develop, like there's going to be friction and you have to talk about it with them. And yeah, you can start to be like, you know, kind of in your own head. I think people will just be like, well, I'm, I'm like this. She's like that. that it can just be very emotionally divisive. Yeah. Yeah. My wife uh, gets to hear like so much stuff every day. I mean, every day it's just a dump. It's just me coming down from my office and being like, here's all the crap I need you to sort. It's like I take a garbage bag and I just dump it out on the floor every day and be like, help me sort through this. That's great. And I've never been good at that. And so I have to practice like dumping even if like, and I have to learn to not expect like the understanding that I might want, Yeah, but just be like, it's okay. I'm just getting this out. Yeah, She's hearing it sort of. She's the only person that I'm 100% open with there's no one else and i want i want my you know my mom or my brother or whatever Um, my mom is interesting because my mom is the one that i will react quick with you know what i mean like if she annoys me i'll just say something really quick but then i've like got myself into so much trouble that way and like i love my mom way too much to like snap (laughs) but there's all these opportunities and she almost becomes a scapegoat of like you know the things that i need to say I can say it to my mom and she's the only person I can say my wife too, but I only person I can say it quickly to. Yeah. And most of the time she can handle it. But when I find out she can't handle it, it's just, I'm the worst son ever. You know what I mean? And it sucks so much, but there's just not that many people I can do that with. So, um, yeah, my wife just deals with me emptying the trash all over the floor. When I think, especially in a, a civil union or co, you know, living together, um, being committed to somebody, you have to, you're gonna, you have to accept that you're gonna be offended sometimes. Like yeah. that's, for some reason, it's taken me way too long to kind of be like, don't take these things so personally. Yes. Like she's speaking out of this, I'm speaking out of this. And we'll both be a lot better if we stop taking things really personally that we say to each other, even if they're like mean and really true. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, okay. Like I'm bigger than that. Uh, I'm just working through it it's, instead of keeping it in. Let's switch gears. Okay. Let's uh, <laughs> let's get to. Um, I just want to talk more about like. What is your vision? Like, what's your ideal vision for something like Vespertine or something like... I know House Heroes has been going for a long time, so it's hard to talk about the big grand vision. But, like, for Vespertine, like... See, I've found that I'm really... I'm driven by this huge end vision, you know? Mm. And that becomes this fun thing that I can sort of, like, focus all my attention, all my creativity towards, is I know it could be this someday. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, for Vespertine, I feel like there's a lot of, like... I don't know. There's just like a lot of options for like visual art attached to it. It Mm -hmm. seems like, you know, I found that I've got this little side project called at night we strike and I almost, we've only put out one song back in like 2012, but the second song is about to come out soon. 
And like, for me, it's just like, listen, this is going to take forever. But I think that a band could be built around like a logo alone. You know what I mean? And like yeah. merch alone. Just an idea. So it's so much fun for me to like think of the bigger vision of what it could be visually. So there's bands like Nine Inch Nails that are I'm super influenced by as far as the visuals attached to that art. Do you, with Vespertine, is it just sort of let me get this thing out? Or is this their, this bigger vision? Or is it just something kind of holds you over between is, House of Heroes? Yeah, it's much different than it used to be. Then if I'm comparing this project to my other band, it's a lot different. I think like what you said, having a, a grand sort of end game yeah. uh, or a vision uh, for the future is something that I did. And it was my driving force for, you know, a decade in this other band was got to get to this. I, I can see the ideal in my head, like yeah. exactly where we should be, what I want, what I love, what I want to do. And that's what drove me. But then I think it's consciously now, but at first it was subconsciously where I decided that's not how it needs to be. Like I said, I kind of just jumped into it without, I was like, I'm not going to make this a thing. I'm just going to do it yeah. for fun. Um, so see it what naturally began happens. like that. Yeah. And just to, to not have that pressure or maybe to not set myself up for disappointment, yeah. uh, not set unrealistic expectations and be like, whatever, I don't care. It's just this, whatever happens, happens. That's cool. And so it started like that and it's continued like that, even though I've, I do have goals and things I want to do, but I'm really taking a day to day and I'm not putting a, a big vision or a big goal. Yeah. No expectation. And I honestly don't, I'm kind of just enjoying the learning and enjoying the ride of like not knowing, especially business wise. Yeah. Like that's, I feel like that stuff will just kind of come. Um, if I am really focused on the quality of my art and my product and what I'm putting out there. I think there's two, maybe not two, but we can just divide it as the two types of artists or bands or whatever. There is the one that it's all about this huge, like in game and all this stuff. And that, I think that is a big driving force. And I've seen bands that or artists or whoever, for some reason I'm thinking of Katy Perry and seeing like the big crazy Chinese dragon at the Super Bowl or something like that. Yeah. Like some huge, enormous. You think she thought of that when she was like 17? Yeah. She just like finally got to the do Super it. Bowl. Yeah. So like, I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about, that, but then I also think about the artists who are like, listen, like, you know, Glenn Hansard, um, I don't know, Elliot Smith was like this, uh, I don't know, there's a big list of people, Ray Lamontagne, listen, they just got to get it out. They mm -hmm. don't care if you listen or not. This is something that just has to get out. So that's yeah. kind of my struggle with this podcast mm -hmm. is that I need, this is for me, and but I've just realized that if I'm open, other people might be able to get helped by it. But it sounds like Vespertine for you is just sort of, listen, I just got to get this out. I got to try this other thing. I got to keep myself busy. It's almost like, um, you know, when I'm doing work, um, I have a sketch pad beside me. And obviously sometimes a sketch pad is used for the projects I'm working on. But then there's sometimes I just doodle. Like sometimes there's like a new pen that I have or something and I'll just draw forever. I'll draw for like 45 minutes and I've completely gotten off schedule with my work, but I have so much value on that stuff that I sketch out because it's almost like, listen, just let me naturally create things. Let mm -hmm. me just let things honestly happen the way they come out, not have a plan, just let it happen. Yeah. Um, and that's that creative outlet because if you feel like you're being, you know, that's kind of me with band merchandise. It's like, sure, I get to do all this amazing work and I get to have this great client list, but 
most of that stuff is dictated by someone else. Like it's not what naturally comes out of me. It's dictated by your time too. It's dictated by my time. It's dictated by the budgets. It's, yeah. you know, that's one thing that's tough in that. Cause my career is a bunch of tiny jobs, you know, is throwing a bunch of tiny jobs together, but it's like, there's never the budget or time for me to just <sighs> exhale, think about it, design, create what I actually create so much so that, you know, 10 years into my career now, I don't know what my style is. I don't know what I make without any direction. You know, mm-hmm. I think the hardest project to do is something that starts from nowhere. So in music, maybe it's a little bit easier in music to just what's going to come out of you. What chord do you put your fingers on, mm-hmm. on the guitar right away? What do you feel like playing? What's, you know, what, you know, like you'll start playing around the piano and be like, okay, this represents my boot, my mood right now, you know? And I think that that's really, really hard for a designer to figure out, you know? And cause you do the same stuff I do. You do band merchandise mm-hmm. and you know what it's like to be like, okay, it's this band. Here's the album title. Here's when they started. Here's the city they're from. Um, that's enough information really for you to really put a really Make in-depth. A decent yeah, yeah. You've got, you know, established 1997, whatever. Um, it's like there's a formula sort of that happens with that sort of thing that, you know, I, I know the formula, I know how to do it, but, um, and I always want to do it. That's, that's my weird thing is like, if I could choose what my job is, I just, I'm fine with continue doing band merchandise until I'm old. I just know that nobody's going to want their band merchandise designed by a 60 year old guy. So I don't know when my whole thing's going to run out. Unless it's still just cutting edge. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe I can still do it. I mean, there's still like, I don't know how Michael, how old Michael Beirut is. Well, not that he does, he does, but it's not hard to be an old designer and be yeah. relevant. Yeah. Um, you just have to pay attention or you have to stick to your principles or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I just think that, I think it's important to be honest about or just give yourself an outlet to get that out. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is, I don't know that I'll ever be able to create something visual that um, is going to be my creative outlet. Maybe my own personal branding or something like that. Mm -hmm. I can be honest with who I am and what I'm trying to do, but I'm still trying to figure that out because I'm, I'm trying to like design who I am for the next five, six years or something like that and redefine it, kind of make it a little more adult than it used to be, you know, cause I've got boy bands and stuff like that. I've designed for everybody. So it's hard to like, uh, bring that up to like adult world, like yeah. serious graphic designer now. Yeah. So in your life right now, what's the ratio from design to music? Um, I've embraced, uh, the design within my own musical project yeah. as being like, my strength that I can play to where, yeah. and I feel really fortunate that I can be my own in-house designer and marketing team. Yeah. Uh, and it's all me. I can do whatever I want and it's all in my brain and then it's coming out. Uh, except for video stuff, I've been developing uh, a lot of video concepts with other people and I have done one and I have four more lined up and that's kind of outside of my wheelhouse of creativity. Yeah. And that's different and a little hard because I'm not fully in control of it. And so it's kind of like someone else's, it's like you doing a shirt for another band. It's your interpretation. It's your expression of what you see them being. And so all these directors are expressing what they hear in my music, which is cool, but it's a little hard for me. Uh, It's kind of out of my control. Yeah. Uh, as far as ratio, I'm, uh, I'd say it's pretty even. I try to, I mean, I do design more, uh, for money and then, uh, the music, is like I said, it's kind of more for fun and I am trying to just keep it that pure yeah. and not be so concerned. Of course I'm, I have a business mind enough to be like, 
hey, I need to get, like, I sold a lot of tickets for the show. You need yeah. to give me some money. Like, I know how a show works. I've been doing it for a long time. And I know the reality. But I also know opportunities that could be taken uh, and sacrifices that can be made. So I'm trying to keep that as, like, I'm just uh, doing music very purely and not look at it as a career thing, even though it can or could be. Um, I'm not putting all my uh, expectation into that. So on a scale of one to 10, what about like creative fulfillment between design and music? How creatively fulfilled are you? I definitely get more through music and I don't know if I can define why, because both uh, my visual art and music uh, really sort of blossomed or began around the same time, Yeah, uh, like in like early childhood. And so kind of always doing both but I kind of always chose the music over like at the end of high school all I did through high school was draw and design stuff and and so at the end of high school I had some scholarship opportunities but I also had a touring opportunity and I chose the touring opportunity me too (laughs) and I'm not gonna say I regret that you know there's like different paths alternate realities that could have happened but well that's a whole other conversation about the degree that you would have got from that and the entitlement that you, that would have been attached to that degree that would have made you get into a job and think that you had, you deserved something from Mm -hmm. that degree when really being in the band, you know, your design was out of necessity and that's the way it was for me. The, The design is out of necessity and you just do it because it has to be done. So by the time it's, or by the time new jobs come in, it's because of the stuff that you did out of necessity. Hey, I mm-hmm. like the house of heroes shirts. Um, can you do some for us? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So then that grows into something. And now if you have that art degree, you miss out on the work part of it. You miss out on just doing it because you do it. And, yeah. you know, I think that it's the entitlement is, is going to destroy anyone's career. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think at that point I was appreciative enough or hardworking enough. I don't think I, I think school can be valuable, and there can get a lot out of it, but I also think it's not very necessary and can be a big waste of time and money for people. Yeah. Um, at that point, I think it would have been a waste of time for me because I wouldn't, I sucked at school, like doing work, schoolwork. And uh, so the idea of more of that was unappealing. And I don't think I was mature enough or motivated enough to be like, if I just put in the work, I was kind of, not that, uh, I mean, I uh, really, I guess playing in the band was a, was an easier option. It was just like, well, drumming, I can do that in my sleep and I don't have to go to school and I can just be on the road with my friends. And I find that that decision going that way when everybody else is going to college, the decision to go on a band and live in a van and tour the country and see the country and to see all these other places. I found that throughout my entire life, that is such a dividing experience, Mm -hmm. meaning like there's the people who have been through that and there's people who haven't been through that. Mm -hmm. And I instantly, I shouldn't say gravitate towards, it's just way easier for me to connect with that because we kind of threw away whatever we were supposed to do when we were 18, 19 years old. And there's something huge about kind of giving up on what you were told you were supposed to do at an, at that young age. And so if you do what, and so much I see people who, well, I've done what I'm supposed to do. So why don't I have this? And that's the frustrating thing is because it's like, well, 
I know I don't deserve a single thing today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I am not entitled to anything today. So I don't expect anybody to take me seriously. I don't expect any of that stuff. I just have to keep pushing myself because that's the way it's always been. And yeah. I, cause I gave up on conventional lifestyle when I was 18, 19. Well, really, you know, like we started the band when we were like 13 years old and at the, you know, I said before, well, actually this is another interview, but you know, that age when like your friends are playing sports or you're playing sports and you decide you're not going to play sports in school anymore. Mm-hmm. So we were like freshman and sophomore in high school saying, we're not going to play sports because we're going to, instead of playing basketball on the weekends, we're you playing really shows. identify yourselves right around that yeah, age. It's totally. so crazy. So it's like, you mean you're not going to be on the, you're one of the best players on the basketball team. <laughs> now I'm going to say that knowing that we had like 87 kids in our grade. So like that doesn't mean I'm good, <laughs> but being like one of the starters on the basketball team and not playing the next season is a big deal. And for me, that was like, no, I, I want to do this because it's more exciting. You know, I remember there's this guy like in middle school and he was a BMX racer that like, there's no school attached to his shirt when he's BMX racing. And that was just so weird to me. It's like, you know, people in karate and stuff like that, the extracurricular stuff, it's like, you're going out on a limb and you're doing your own thing early. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you lose, I guess you lose a dependence on a majority, I guess. Yeah. So it's like sort of like, well, me and all these other people, we're doing the correct thing. We're following the rules. So don't we deserve this job now? Yeah. You I know? think that formulaic uh, approach or that system is, uh, especially when it comes to schools, is very kind of out of date yeah, and it broken. doesn't really work. Yeah. Right. Uh, for the way things are now. And I, I hope that a lot of, I mean, I've seen it and I think it'll continue that a lot of uh, young people are kind of realizing that and a lot of parents hopefully are realizing that. I mean, you know, it worked for a number of generations where you're like, to make it happen, you got to do this and this and that. And yeah, it worked. Well, then. there's so much difference in this, like we're inundated with information. So that changes everything. Yeah, it really does. So like, you know, like I have a wife who will go into a doctor's office and educate the doctor on stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because she's done way more research online and cause she has access to everything they have access to. And she can choose what, you know, what, what she wants to go after. Whereas in school, it's just kind of given to you one yeah. way and who knows who's making those, like maybe you can see things completely different than yeah. the person who's making this syllabus or this yeah. curriculum. And so for, for designers and even musicians, like it's not hard for you to see exactly how somebody does what they do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can go to whoever studio on YouTube and you can, you know, you can see somebody's process on all kinds of places online. You can see exactly how people do what they do, which I think is probably a better process. I would say that apprenticeship is way more effective, which Sure. Nobody does anymore, but I feel like those are way more effective than any type of like, I mean, college is basically you learn, um, everything, but you don't actually do it for real yeah. until you're out of college. Mm-hmm. But I, let me, I don't want to put a big blanket statement on colleges. I think there's plenty of colleges that are figuring that out. Like for me, I know a lot of art, art schools that are figuring that out being like, well, we've got to give you kind of real jobs. You know what I mean? So we need to know that you're actually dealing with a unpredictable client, mm-hmm. you know, with unpredictable needs. And there's going to be situations that arise that you're just not prepared for. And you can't look back in your, um, the stuff you've learned, you just have to react and you have to deal. And that's really what it is. So, you know, that's what was so fun about being in a band where it's just like, Oh, the printer needs this design by so-and-so. So so I got to hurry up and do this thing. 
and like you get done with that and like, Hey, that was your first deadline. You yeah. just experienced your first deadline yeah. because the necessity was your band is leaving um, tomorrow and you need to have a box of t-shirts with you when you leave. It's those little accomplishments that kind of give you the confidence. You're like, Oh, I did that. Yeah. I did it. Like it needed to be done and I did it yeah. on my own. And those are those first little things that you kind of experience, but those are the kind of things that you don't experience. If you go straight from living with your parents going to school to living sort of on your own, but yeah. going to another school still kind of supported by your parents living on your own, but still kind of going to high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a version <laughs> of, which is not a great combination. Right. I think I would find way more value in, like, you know, real life experience. I think a lot of people that experience challenges and the hard, the challenge of doing things on your own really flourish way better. If I mean, they're going to make it through that. They're not going to like, it's not going to just completely kill them yeah. to be like, to have a hard, like couple of years or not, yeah. and not even hard. I just mean on your own fully. Like I would much more, I'll take the 20 grand or whatever I would that somebody might spend on college and send my kid or kids to another country to just work and be yeah. on their own. They can learn so much more yep. just living life yeah. and just tackling those, those little things and getting that confidence, gaining those you know accomplishments. When I went on vacation, I was like, I know Spanish from high school, but I don't know Spanish until you put me in Mexico and I have to talk to a cab driver then, mm-hmm. uh, and, or I have to order like gluten-free stuff for my wife at a restaurant. <laughs> How do then you say that in sudden, Spanish? Actually, I forget now, but I guarantee <laughs> you if I was in Mexico, I would probably figure it out. Glutino? Uh, sin, oh, what was it? It was sin, uh, I forget what it was. Sin glutino. I could just probably say without gluten and they'd be like, thanks buddy. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to speak Spanish and they're like, I speak English. Can you just say GF? <laughs> I could say GF. So, but it's like, you can do it if you have no other choice. And if you get yeah. out into life, you know, it's like if you just get, you know, I feel like being in the band or whatever, it's sort of like shot you out into responsibility. I want to say adulthood cause it's not mm-hmm. adulthood, but it is definitely responsibility. So it's yeah. like you have a flat tire, fix the flat tire. Like, don't call your mom. Yeah. Don't call your dad. Fix the flat tire. Yeah. Like you have a radiate, you have a hose burst on your radiator. Like figure out how to do that because you have to get to the show. Yeah. There's responsibilities now. And that is like a crash course in adulthood. It's yeah. like, you have to figure this out now. Problem solving. Problem solving. Yeah. yeah. You have to figure it out. And I just think that, man, I don't know. I see I've never went to, I went to a community college and I, and I learned so much there, but I had no reason. It seemed like the last like portfolio classes, they just didn't make sense to me. And plus my band was going to do another tour or whatever. So it just never made sense to me, but I learned so much there. So it's like learn the skills, however you need to learn the skills. Mm-hmm. If that's through college, that's fine. If that's through online courses or whatever you got to do, just do it. Yeah. Apprenticeship, whatever. Just learn what you have to learn, but know that that is 50% of the job. Yeah. And the other 50%, if not more, the other, fi- the other 50% is you having to react to situations. You have to deal with deadlines that are ridiculous. I know people that they start their career and in like, they've been in it for six months and they're like, if you don't give me two weeks to do something, then screw you. And you're, you know what I mean? Like I need at least two weeks for everything I do. Yeah. No, you don't, you need two hours. We know <laughs> this, you need two hours. So they, they're not going to make it flat mm-hmm. out, not going to make it. So you have to learn how to just grind. You have to learn how to do all that stuff. And that is 
adulthood and you have to learn how to react. Like I remember one time I was talking to my friend and, uh, I was just complaining about stupid stuff. And he was like, dude, that's just life. <laughs> and he, it was like, he just was so confused by my problems. He's like, that's just life. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's that's like, a big, yeah, I think that's still a problem. Even though this generation I think is evolving more into a, uh, having a better perspective. I think there still is that complaining that cynicism yeah. instead of yeah, just accepting things. Yeah. Like I, I think I complained, you know, quite a bit, uh, in my twenties and well, you know, what is that? Well, why, why did I feel entitled? Like, I don't know what it is that got me over that hump, but I think it's very important for yeah. the younger you can learn that the much better off you will be yeah. because who cares? Yeah. Like nobody's going <laughs> to do trying, it man, for I'm trying you. to figure it out now. Like yeah. I'm really trying to figure it out now. Cause I still, I've been through different phases. It's weird. Cause I've been through the phase where everything's great. Everything's amazing. You know, like you know, I've been married for almost a decade now and like, that was all great. Marriage is still great. That's not the problem. The problem is just new life situations, new experiences of just like things, things change and evolve. Um, you know, for us, we've moved and we've kind of lost our sense of home and all this stuff and all these things that are like, they're like champagne problems to complain about. And it's so annoying that I complain about yeah. them. Um, but it's, you know, it's this thing of every, you know, if I wake up and I'm not fulfilled or I'm not, if I wake up and I'm not ecstatic, I have this method of, you know, like hyper analyzing every single thing that's going on. What did I eat? What time did I wake up? Like, <laughs> you know, you know, what am I wearing to bed or are these sheets like, which is, impo- bed? is good to be aware of. It can yeah. be beneficial to be aware of all that, but not let it, but it, I let it, I let it affect <laughs> me. And like, so every little thing I'm just trying to figure out, okay, I am, even if I'm like 90% one day, I'm like, why am I not 100%? What happened? What is it? What's responsible for this 10%? And I'm trying to figure all that out. And that, that's what this weird phase is, um, that we talked about 30. So I'm still in my early thirties. I'm 30. I'll be 33 in a few, in a month, couple of months. And so it's this experience of Brandon, you know, these are the last days of you caring about this stupid stuff, right? Mm. Like you're going, you're about to grow out of this. You're mm. just at a weird phase in your life where everything sort of bothers. It's like everything is almost perfect. And those last few things, it's like saying like, if your house is tidy, that's, that's fine. Um, but if you make your house immaculate and there's still that stack of papers that are like out of, you know, alignment on the countertop, then all of a sudden that stack of papers becomes this huge problem where it's like, just go and fix those stacks of papers. So they're perfectly straight. Well, when everything was tidy, let's call tidy 85% clean. When everything was tidy, those, that stack of papers didn't matter. But now that I've got everything else immaculate, that thing is sticking in my crawl and I can't freaking (laughs) get over it. So that's where I'm at in this stupid phase of life where like, I'm trying to get things how I want them to be for the long term. I want my career to be set for the long term. You know, like I am still working out of office in my home. I want to build a separate office. Um, I've been wanting to do that for years and now I kind of want to do that, but it's not there yet. So I'm still seeing a stack of papers that that's out of line, you know, like all these stupid little things that really don't matter in the big, in the big scheme. I'm hoping I'm in my last days of freaking out about those. Yeah. Well, it's a balance and I'm sure you've dealt with that of, of not, uh, you know, it's so important to be goal oriented. It's very helpful. Yeah. Uh, it keeps you going and it keeps you thinking and planning and, um, 
but I see a big problem and I'm not saying you're doing this, but of people postponing their, uh, happiness. Yeah. Their joy and their engaging, like, uh, like people with kids. like, I have a lot of, uh, I know people that do that a lot where they're like, yeah, we totally want to have kids. We're just, as soon as this happens and then this, and then yep. this ducks in around and then this, and then we get this, then it'll be the time. Yep. And it's very important or I've realized the value of just accepting that things are almost never, ever going to feel like it's the right time for this. Yeah. This is all in a row ready to go. It's just not. And you just have to do it and go and, you know, recording my EP, it was very hard to be like, and now it's done. Yeah. Like, cause you just, I just keep creating these songs. I'm like, yeah, no, let's add this. Let's add this. And to be like, that's it it never felt like that was it. I just had to call it. Yeah. <laughs> like I was never like, yep, I'm for sure that this is the right time and it's done. I just had to be like, nope, it's done. Let's move on. I think I've realized that there's this expectation of gratification that never comes anymore. Yeah. Which can be like a healthy thing. Like, yeah. uh, it's, it, it's what keeps you going, but I think you need to realize that yeah. that's what keeps you going is the, the mystery and the kind of not fully in control. It's like the unattainable goal. It's golf. Yeah. Like your life <laughs> People, you know, spend their whole lives trying to master this game yeah. that's kind of unmasterable and there's so many factors and, but they're always just kind of chasing it, kind of trying to, and so that kind of idea you can apply to your life and be like, you know, it's nothing is ever, ever, I'm not in control. Nothing's ever going to be the way I want it to be. So I'm just going to kind of roll with it day to day, thing to thing. Yeah. I've heard, it's really I've heard about rolling with it. I've heard that mentioned before. I've never been able to do it. Um, I'm still, <laughs> different one, versions I'm of still that. a complete control freak. And <laughs> well, I think what makes me a control freak is those few times that in my life where I've, I've done what I wanted to do. Like we had a couple records and I was 100% stoked on those records. Not a single thing I'll change. There were logos or t-shirt designs I made or whatever. And I'm just like, perfect. That's it. Because I put in the work and I tried so hard. And I was so meticulous about every little thing that I was satisfied with the end result. Now my satisfaction isn't based on specific moments or specific things. My satisfaction is more based on the big picture. Mm. Am I 100% happy? Well, the thing you just did was 100% awesome, but you're not 100% happy. Why are you not 100% happy? So the same way that you would be meticulous about every anchor point on a piece of vector artwork or something, I'm making it so nerdy. Um, I'm trying to be that way with my life. I'm trying to get every anchor point intact and to get out all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And it's, it's maddening. This is, and I've realized this whole, you know, perfectionism used to be this brag and now I've understood what it actually means. And it's a, it's not a good trait. Like at all, at all. It's not a good trait at all. And I think if anybody calls himself a perfectionist and is expecting some type of, um, I don't know, like high five from that, like they're not understanding what it actually means because what it actually means is uh, perfectionism, AKA unable to be fully happy. Yeah. And that's really what it boils down to. And that happens a lot of, I mean, and not the, because success can come out of that. It can yeah. be born out of unrelenting perfectionism. Yeah. It almost kind of veers into eccentricity. Yeah. If you look at like somebody like Prince or Madonna, like somebody who just has probably been an insane control freak their whole life and they know no other way. Yep. But they're, and they, yeah, they get what they want, but they're probably completely miserable. Yep and still feel like they're out of control yes. all the time. Yes. So it's not, it's an okay motivator to be like, I want it to be perfect. I want it to, you know, to go after that, but to, like I said, postpone your joy or fulfillment or your satisfaction or your self-worth 
on and some sort of end result that can yeah. really be had yeah. is a fool's errand. Amen. <laughs> so wrapping this up, like what do you do for your kids? Like where do you, mm. how do you try to direct this? If you know, if your kids turn out to be creative people, musicians, artists, whatever, I, you may see that already in them. What is the best advice you give them if they do have some spark inside of them that needs to be cultivated? Uh, it sounds so cliche, but like, uh, the, like the be true to yourself mantra yeah. is <laughs> it's so, it can be so corny, but it is very true to like, if you, it's important to care about other people, but you don't always have to please other people because oh, wow, you never will, but it's important to care. It's important to express your love, you know? I think more so than what I am concerned for with uh, what they end up doing vocationally, I'm concerned with how they are with other people. Yes. Because that's the real meat of it. That's the day to day. It really is. And that completely informs what you do for work or uh, creativity. Like I said, that's what I've been kind of going through for the past couple of years is a lot of self-realization that kind of uh, bleeds into and feeds the creativity you know if i wrong well if i do something i don't like on a project it doesn't stick with me every day but if i wrong somebody Mm. it sticks with me all day every day like the the work is is disposable but the relationships are not disposable and that's hard it's it's honestly harder to teach than uh you know uh, a skill or, uh, or even a work ethic i think you can teach a work ethic but uh, it's harder to teach a, uh, like a social ethic, Yeah, you know? Yeah. That's like enriching soil. It's like, you can't just do it right away. You have to like over time, it gets better and better. I know that's a corny metaphor, but that's the first one that came to mind. But oh, it's man. like, so it's a big thing. Like everything matters. Every little I- experience matters. So you just have to. And it starts inside. Yeah. Yeah. Like a seed. There's so many great, uh, I was talking about this with somebody how, Amazing it is all the agricultural and like uh, <laughs> gardening metaphors that can be used for life yeah. is astounding. Like so many, like it just, it's amazing that that's how it is. Like nature is the only like kind of constant thing mm-hmm. that all sorts of stories from the past, Bible stories and fairy tales and all kinds of stories that were written thousands and thousands of years ago. That's how we can still relate on such a cool, big, broad level. Yeah, it's basically. Is nature and science and uh, those things that haven't changed. Because we're all trying to grow and we're trying to grow better. Yeah. That's we're about, a bunch that of sums plants. It up. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for talking, man. I think we did it. Yeah, we did it. It was good talk. I'd love to come back. Yeah. There's always more to get out. Yeah, there's a lot more to get out. You've got a lot ahead of you, my friend. Yeah, I hope so. Good luck. Thanks, man. It's going to be good. (laughs) The Graphic Sound was created by me, Brandon Reich. You can find me at Brandon Reich on all social media and on BrandonReich.com. This podcast was produced by myself and Brian Steele of ChrisGrahamMastering.com. Theme music by The Hands of Stone. Title intro song remixed by my good friend Jesse Kale, at Jesse Kale on Twitter. At the interlude, you heard a tease of the song I Never Knew How to Love You off the self-titled EP by Vespertine, as well as this jam you're hearing in the background called Shatter in the Night off the same EP. Discover all of Colin's creative offerings at VespertineMusic.com, ColinRigsbyDesigns.com, and
and thehouseofheroes.com. And you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at the name at Colin Rigsby. You can find more info on this podcast at thegraphicsound.com and join the conversation by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegraphicsound. Thank you for listening and listen to me. Don't let them kill your soul. Oh, 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 oh,